0: back on the things we say i'm sheldon and i'm nate and we are doing our first episode of the 2023 seasons which is really insane when you think about Um, it outside Uh, of our welcome episode welcome back yes
1: (laughs) which you'll get pretty much dropping at the same time as this uh well, we've already discussed how our day's gone, so I'm just going to let that one That's be. That's good. Yes, oh, <laughs> I
0: did give my, my niece a math question tonight. A math question? Yeah. So if I gave you a dollar every second, and I, how long would it take me to give you a million dollars? Oh my gosh. That's too many numbers for me. So just a dollar a second. How many seconds? How long would it take me to give you a million dollars? Now I have that stupid. It's a red million song. seconds. Oh okay. yeah. It would take take me twelve days to give you a million dollars. I if, was way over analyzing that. Okay, if I gave you a dollar a second, same rate, how long would it take me to get to a billion dollars? If it's twelve okay, so days it's to 12 a 12 days.
1: Okay. Oh my gosh, the math hurts my face. Okay. And my head.
0: I'll I'll make it short. It's 32 years. Jeez. So if you want to earn a million dollars in your lifetime, a billionaire, you're not even in the same stratosphere. No, not at all. You will never have any clue what it's like. Like you're 12 days into a 32 year.
1: Yeah, process.
0: Process of trying to get a billion dollars.
1: Which is why Bernie changed his tune the minute he got a million dollars, at least, (laughs) and probably more.
0: Okay, so when you're talking trillions, if it takes 32 years to get a billion dollars, how much is a trillion dollars? If you got a dollar a second, how long would you have to give someone money until they had a trillion dollars? It's going to be astronomical and it's going to start me off on a depressed note. Yes, it will. (laughs) Just tell me. 32,000 years. Yeah. Now I'm sad. And if you did that, gave somebody a dollar a second for, ter- third, like, I think it's 32,600 and some odd years. Um, if you did that for 32,000 years, gave somebody a dollar a second, got there, you would have spent 133rd of the US national debt. <sighs> You know it's funny I was I was I've been look, yeah, listening 31, back 31,688 years. I've been list- I've been segment. listening
1: back to some of our old episodes and I'm seeing the fear tournament ones which I haven't gotten to and I still in the years that have happened since that I still don't really understand the national debt as a threat. Right. Because I don't know what happens. Like I don't I cannot fathom what will what could possibly happen right because we're not looking at like oh this is something that will be the collapse of america like no the entire world would have to collapse economically in order for whatever that is to be a problem i mean i feel it looming over us like a weight above our head yeah but i don't know what happens like i don't i, I have no capacity for what that scenario even begins to look like
0: yeah so if it's thirty two thousand years roughly and the u s national debt yeah i i don't i'm not going to be able to pull that number quickly enough i don't for i don't know that
1: i want to know i'm i'm sad about it
0: u s national debt according to the national debt clock <laughs> dot org which the fact that that exists that's amazing <laughs> oh my lord oh thirty one trillion dollars that's where we're at now? Yep. it's You can go there and look. It's just climbing into the stratosphere. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, because what was the big deal when when Obama came in and, and did the, the bailout? We all freaked out because it went up to how many trillion all of a sudden? Yeah, I don't know. It was not nearly that. It was like, was it like 12 trillion or something like that? And we have well blown through that.
0: <sighs> there you go. Well, now I'm happy. <laughs> Everyone should be happy. Dang it Things shocked. are fine. Everything I, is good.
1: Everything's fine. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Let's
0: actually talk about something that is good. But that was our <laughs> did you know for today. That was a little math question. I just love to plant these Easter eggs in high schoolers so that when people say millions, billions, and trillions, they don't think of them as the same thing. Yeah. Because I think of anything <clears throat> over a million dollars kind of like a bajillion. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a million. It's it's just a bajillion dollars. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I hear you. <sighs>
1: yeah. Which it also, is, which it also, is helpful
0: to know, like the richest guy in the world has got like $202 billion. Right. He's 800 trillion, 800 million, 800 billion away from a trillion. Right. He, the richest person in the world right. has no hope of ever having Which a Which is why dollars. this
1: whole tax the rich thing is not even asking the right questions. Like, It's like all these people who want to argue about income tax brackets. Like, no, the question we should be asking is, why are we paying income tax at all? Instead, yep. we're bickering about
0: who's paying what percentage. The real question needs to be, why are we doing this at all? The budget deficit is $1.4 trillion currently and climbing, <laughs> according to the U.S. National Debt Clock. And... Uh, so that means if you just confiscated all of Bezos's and Elon Musk's wealth, you're still not covering the deficit. Yeah. Like, you just took all their money, and now they're penniless, and they can't produce anything. There you go.
1: The government is a dumpster <laughs> fire, and most of the things it does should not be allowed.
0: All right. Yeah,
1: you've basically, like, totally harshed my mellow here. Yeah, and I know it's not because I'm hot, okay. because I've never done anything but smell pot very strongly that other people were using that's the extent to which i've done that
0: oh i didn't realize that was a pot reference it's but it concerned. is
1: it is a it is a stoner reference yes
0: <laughs> yes no right. on on this podcast the only thing we will do is drink tea or water Mostly water. Mostly water. I my I gosh, have Ellen. had an Arnold Palmer on here just oh, lemonade yeah. and iced tea together. I need to
1: I need to get some more of those. That was that's a nice thing as we come into the summer. There you go. Arnold Palmers making oh, me happy. In the <clears> summer,
0: <throat> I like to make meadow tea. Do you know what that is? Is have that like ha- a mint? Yes, mint garden mint tea. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. grandpa used to do that. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. So we used to have a garden in our house, and the only thing that grows there currently is I got some mint from a friend at work yeah, and I planted it and I weed it and I mow around it and <laughs> it grows and I make meadow tea out of it. There you go. And uh, the rest, I don't really care. Like I don't care about any of the rest of it. Go to the store for the carrots. <laughs> I can't just go buy a bunch of mint and make uh, meadow tea. Well, and that's the thing is, is you can supplement with a garden. Right.
1: But you can't sustain with a garden. Like, no. The degree to which you would, ha- I mean, you would have to f- straight up farm.
0: You would just have to straight up farm. To, We'd have to, make to get it work. super good at canning and put our whole back acre into. Yeah, dude, when we cleaned out my grandpa
1: Ward's basement when after he had passed and and, and we cleaned everything out there, there were things that were canned that were probably older than my father. That were still stored, and they were definitely not good. The one we got the biggest kick out of my my grandpa always did homemade grape juice. That was a big thing that he yeah. did all the time. He had grape vines and the whole thing. Like he he loved so to he garden. had a
0: wine cellar.
1: Unintentionally, yes. My <laughs> very Nazarene grandfather had a, an unintentional wine cellar, and and we saw some that were like, oh man, and it was hilarious. I mean, we were all cracking up at some of the stuff that was back there. But that particular one, I found very humorous, all things considered. That's hilarious. So. Speaking of that, one of the things we've discussed here before is, uh, the whole stance that the church of Nazarene has and kind of our views on alcohol. Okay. And I'm going to do a tie-in that's actually going to get us to our real subject here. Good. And you, I don't remember if we've discussed this or not. We might have over Marco Polo. For those of you who don't know, uh, Sheldon and my cousin Ross, who has been on this podcast a time or two, just once, just once. And I was on his podcast. Uh. We have a running Marco Polo thread where we just talk about all kinds of random things, or we rant, you know, social, political, satirical, whatever. Um, And I think this might have come up on there. So since I'm referencing that, I'm just letting everybody know what that is. If you don't know what Marco Polo is, go look it up. I don't need to explain that. But – there are very few major things on the Church of the Nazarene's uh, ballot here upcoming for General Assembly, which we will both be going to. Yep. It'll be Sheldon and Jess's first time, and Kayla and I are going with them, and I am super stoked about it. It's always an event I've very much enjoyed being a part of. And as anyone who knows me knows, anytime I can take some somebody to experience something that they have never experienced that I love, it just... It reinforces my joy in whatever that thing is. Uh, It's almost like getting to experience it for the first time all over again. So I'm really excited to get to go, A, just to hang out with Justin Sheldon for an extended period of time, but also to actually go and do that. But one of the things we do is we vote on, you know, different policy, different manual things, all that. And one of the things that is coming up is the issue of baptism. Nice. As it has stood, the Church of the Nazarene has never required baptism as part of membership into the Church of the Nazarene. But they are talking about amending our church constitution and our our uh, membership requirements to include a requirement of baptism. And uh, I think this is a wonderful thing. I think this is a great idea. The only thing that I am curious about is if they're going to try to make it, you have to be baptized in the Church of the Nazarene, because if that's the thing, I will have major issues with it, because again, and I doubt it would be I that. very seriously doubt. That does not really fit with anything nah. that we do as a, as a thing. Um, I do know some persnickety people who would try to do that, but they're mostly grumbly types that wouldn't really have any pull uh, in the denomination, as it were. But I'm I'm really interested to see how that goes down. Uh, we at our church actually make a big deal of baptism, even on our membership classes. Yep. We very much encourage it, uh, but that's something we would obviously have to change uh, should they make that change? Um, but again, my my thing is, is if you've been baptized in an actual Christian denomination, a legitimate, like, they taught the gospel, this is where we're at, then that's good right. enough for me. That includes membership in the church universal. Um, but anyway, that's one of the things we want to talk about today. Yes,
0: we uh, wanted to discuss baptism just a little bit. And one of my favorite thing things about the church that we attend, when... The church I grew up in, baptism was a solemn ceremony. Yes, it was, it which was, has it, its own merits. Yeah, it was undertaken very seriously, and kind of, you know, you would sing songs leading up to it. But the right. whole proceeding itself was, you know, rather, uh, I don't know, funeral esque. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, it was more solemn than. Yeah, and so like in the in our church, we celebrate it. Like we hoop and holler. The yeah. music's going. Things are upbeat and happening. People find it hard to stay in their seats, but yeah. they sit down mainly so that other people can see <laughs> right. what's happening up there. Give some people the option um, to take some pictures and the cameras yeah, to like get good people angles. People gather around the tank and yeah. get all excited about it, and it is like a giant party. Yeah. And it's kind of like what I would expect is happening in heaven right. you know, when somebody makes a profession of faith. And, and that was something that just really told me what this church was about when I first came and right. got to see it. I was like, wow, we get a chance to actually celebrate someone making a life-changing decision. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen at other churches. I'm just saying I'm really proud of the way yeah. our our whole body just responds to that. Yeah. It's really cool.
1: So, I'm going to just I'm going to ask you a question and let you just kind of roll on sure. this.
0: What is baptism and why do we do it, Sheldon? So, I I am convinced now more than ever that baptism is spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. and it is a declaration not only to those living and in the room, but to yourself and before God and to the spirit world that I have chosen sides. Yeah. I have decided, I it is baptism to me is more about allegiance mm-hmm. and association with the body of Christ and saying, look, everyone, this is my team, and I'm declaring it this way because this is what Jesus does. Yeah. Jesus does it this way. He, This is what he's asked the church to do, and this is my team. And I taught a class on Revelation last summer, and the to me, the biggest theme of Revelation is allegiance and faithfulness until the end. Yeah. It is about whose side you're on. Right. And... Nothing matters as much as allegiance to Jesus. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why I've gone a little soft on the pledge of allegiance. Yes, it, it feels really tough to make that bold of a stand. Yeah, and then turn around and but that's not part of the conversation we want to have. No, here today. But it's okay. I'm not we can, saying we I'm can hard against. Tram. I've honestly against the pledge of allegiance. I don't. I don't begrudge other people doing it. Right. I'm saying that I feel conflicted internally when it comes up. And, and I've, I've said it as, as a high schooler quite proudly because I wasn't allowed to say it in the Mennonite Church. Right. And then I'm like, I get to do this thing. Right. I want to do this. I'm going to do this. Right. And yeah, anyway. I,
1: I think the Pledge of Allegiance makes sense for the armed forces right. and for elected officials. Right. But every time now when I think about it, I'm like, no, no, no. The Republic is allegiant to me. Like right. I, am, I am the citizen that gives the Republic its power. And so the Republic yeah, should be allegiant to me. I should not be to allegiant to the Republic. It should be the other way around. Um,
0: but I would I g- expect this yeah. of my, of the public right. servants. So
1: Correct. yours is a much more spiritual reason. Mine is more of a stubborn libertarian view Yeah. Of it.
0: I Well, <laughs> and you know, maybe that's the one thing I've, or among a bunch of other things that I've still, yeah, got from my. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. My I, I, I'm okay with that. That's yeah, part of the beauty and, of. And so to me, yeah, baptism is about choosing sides. Yeah. And, uh, we can get into some of the weirdness of why I think that is. Yeah, but um, well, and one of the things that to has, you, what is that?
1: Well, I would reiterate almost everything that you've said, and it's interesting because my tradition has always been, even in the more traditional Nazarene churches that I've been in, baptism is always celebratory. It, it doesn't look exactly like ours do, ours does. I mean, actually having worship doing during it or whatever, there's always music or something going on. But you would have, you know, back in the traditional baptistry, you know, it's built back into the back of the sanctuary or technically the front of the sanctuary, I guess, behind the platform. And the people would come in, and they would kind of give their little testimony, and then the pastor would, you know, dunk them, and everybody would clap and cheer, and it was always a good thing. So that's always been my experience. It has just been taken to a whole nother level Um uh, in the years in these in these probably past fifteen years, twenty years, uh, that we've been doing them the way we do them now, at I would this say church. it's
0: kind of like weddings. You can go to some weddings that are more like boring, boring, and and like traditional, and there's a rite that's happening, right. you know, and there's that solemn moments, and yet people are happy. There right. is still that element right. of celebration. I don't think I've been at a baptism where people looked. Depressed. Down or on themselves, or no. like we're completely bored to tears. No, but it was. It, I don't know. We we turn like we turn up for baptism in a way that yeah. I'm not sure everybody does. No,
1: <laughs> no, and and it's really funny because I think a lot of churches present baptism as if they do them the way we do them because you see like clips and they've got background music playing and it's it's all cut together very quick and it feels. But most of these are still just very everybody gather around. We're not right. really worshiping. We're not, but we're going to do it, and everybody celebrates. It's a good thing, but that's, but that's what we actually do. Like if you're in the room, it's loud and it's rowdy and it's a mess, and there's water everywhere. It's awesome. Yes, it is just awesome. And, yeah. and it I, doesn't
0: seem like that way on camera. I yeah. will say that. No, but the room is different. We're, we're trying to
1: work on that. Yeah. I'm trying to trying to work on that. But but to me, one of the, the one aspect that I has really kind of come to life for me in the past couple of years with baptism is. I've always kind of struggled with like like why like why does this matter so much? And obviously, you have some ties to to Jewish cleansing roots and some things like that, where you can make the argument that's where it comes from. I actually don't think that's where it comes from. Uh, I think that a lot of your Hebrew root style people have tried to tie those things together um, as a ceremonial washing in that way, but. To me, it's like, well, how in the first century, when you have no PA system, when you have no way to, you know, you you can't tweet it out, you can't throw an Instagram post or a YouTube video, how do you make a public declaration of something? You do something that everybody can see you do, you know, and so when you bring the whole church in... And this is why I love the idea of of the Nazarene church saying this is going to be a requirement for membership in our church, because it was a requirement, a, a, a testimony for membership in the body of Christ from the very beginning. It was going to a place that was public where all these people would gather around and they would witness you or even or the apostle who had just brought you to Jesus, whatever. There was a witness seeing you do this thing that's like yes I am declaring my allegiance as you said to this kingdom this is yeah. the side I'm on and it was just an instant you know it was the it was the closest thing to a to an Instagram post that they had then I'm going to publicly declare this and I'm going to do it in this way and so that's really that's become a huge thing for me um and I got the privilege of baptizing three people uh today which was is just so great and I love that as it, in our in our tradition you do have to be an elder to baptize um which that's a whole nother discussion we can this have.
0: One minor contention that I yes. have. I think whoever leads you to Jesus has the right to baptize I, you. Right. I don't disagree. I, I feel I, the, I understand. the only reason I think that it's good for an elder in the church to baptize you is that they are ultimately responsible for helping you out with the rest of it, right? And like integrating you into the body, and it's good for the elders of the church to have some idea. Who has taken this step? And one of the ways is that you don't have people just getting baptized all over the place. Someone from the Church that is responsible for the life of the Church sees this happen. Right. Because what is public for some people is not public totally. Yes, you know, I see what you're saying. I've known people that have been baptized in bathtubs, and there's no problem with that. No. But... And again, as you saw in the Ethiopian, like, hey, look, there's some water there. Let's, right. let's do it and now. If there's, yeah. And there's nobody that was around when Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch were there. Right, it was, Not even
1: Philip very quickly after. Yes. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was Philip,
0: the eunuch, and whoever was in his yeah. traveling party. Yeah. So there doesn't need to be a ton of people. Right. But I feel like there should be somebody there that can be responsible for you in some way. So, right. But in my personal opinion, whoever leads you to Jesus... If they have the gifts and graces enough to lead you to faith, right. they can baptize right. you just I, as well as anybody I else. I think. Can. I think one of the reasons, because I don't think it's
1: to to mystify uh, what we do. I think yeah. it's actually to demystify it, and in, by that I mean, I think the reason that that our tradition has had that an elder does it is because they want to make sure the communication is there to understand this is not what saves you. Yes, like. Th- dunking yourself in the water. If you think this saves you, you're just getting wet. Same with communion. Like, if you think eating this and drinking this is what gives you salvation, you're missing the point. And so I think that our tradition comes from that. Like, we want to make sure they understand this is not your salvation. This is a representation that you have been saved. And explaining that difference. And I make sure, whenever I baptize anybody, I always tell them that, even though they've made a profession, you know, at the front of our building. I was just going to ask
0: you, can you tell us all what... like, just kind of boilerplate, I'm sure there's something yeah. that you give to people individually, but boilerplate, what do you say to someone yeah. when, the, I, when you're baptizing yeah, them? I'll typically tell them, you know, that
1: I'm, I'm so proud of them for making this decision to make this public decla- declaration, and I remind them that, you know, remember, this is not what saves you, this is just a representation that you have passed from death into life because you have said yes to Jesus. This is a symbol that that has happened. And you declaring that you've said yes to Jesus in public. And again, just looking them in the eyes, just, you know, that is what you've done. This is what you're doing. Yes. That's what, okay, here we go. And I'll just, I'll hold them and just say, you know, it's my privilege as your pastor to uh, baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and dunk them down and bring them up and everybody shouts and it's awesome. That's pretty much my, as you say, boilerplate nice. thing. And depending on, you know, like when I baptized, I baptized two of my four children uh, this past year, which I'm trying to think if they were the first people I ever baptized or not. I don't think they were. I think there was somebody before that, but, um, for them, it was a little different because they're my kids. So I, I know them much more personally. I understand how they came to this decision, what the process was for them. So there was a little more, you know, I take a little more indulgence with people that I'm very, very close to or people that I've walked through in a particular season or particular time. Um, but that's basically I always make sure yeah. to communicate those things because again that's the point like I want you to understand this is a symbol of what has already happened internally. Right. This is not going to save you. This is affirmation of what has happened. Right. Um, and so that's that's typically what I would what I would say in that situation. So which what what's your experience been with with baptizing others? Like has is that something you've ever uh, done? What's, I
0: helped baptize Rylan. Yeah. So which my son. I love, that. Son. That, I love cool. that.
1: I think that if I were to baptize more often, if it was family, like I would probably, I've seen some people where they would do the head of the house, whether that's if it's a single mom or or maybe the mom is the only one that's saved and dad's still not yet, but whoever whoever the spiritual head is, because again, let me let me make this very clear: Ma- you being male does not automatically make you the spiritual head of the home.
0: So there's not a male and female Holy Spirit.
1: No, wow, that's if weird. you are not following, if you are not following God, if you are not following Jesus, no. Like the, all the biblical things that you can pull out and try to beat somebody over the head with don't matter because you are not the actual spiritual head of the home because you're you're dead and you're junk like you're, you're still your dealing sin. with your stuff. Yep. So whoever the spiritual head of that home is, I love the idea of like okay we're gonna have a whole family get baptized you know so say it is uh, say it's a mom who again husband's not saved she gets baptized and then she'll hop out and literally turn around and help me baptize her kids. Like, I love that idea. I love oh. that. Because again, I think there's so much significance in that, even in saying, as the church, like, we're here to help you raise these kids up in the way that they should go and point right. them in the direction of Jesus. We're here to assist what you're going to do um, and that we're supplementing what's going on there.
0: So I did, I did Rylan and one other person that had asked me, but
1: mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. good.
0: So I I don't have a ton of experience at yeah. it yet. That's why I was asking you because yeah. you've done it a little more. Would you? Which um, obviously in our in our. Now I found out because that there's, there's a there's a list on the signups that I wasn't on, and that's why I haven't oh. had more opportunity. Yeah, but that's, that's. I was gonna say that's, that's being fixed me. as good. far good. as I know. Good. Uh, the that's person good. I talked to said they're on it, and I don't begrudge anybody anything. I'm smiling <laughs> as I say this. So,
1: but but uh, yeah, so it's it's it is quite an experience to. To be able to do that, though, yeah. I, I will say there's,
0: yeah, man, there's so, there's something about it. Um, one one thing that we haven't talked about yet is that in from the time that we last did a podcast, other than our our one just before this, uh, we the world lost Doctor Michael Heiser, mm-hmm. who is who became a friend of mine over listening to his podcast. Yeah. He's, he's one of my better friends that I've never met. Yep, same here. And I like a lot of his content. The one, the one warning that somebody gave me that I was like, you know what? That's a good warning to give people before they get into Heiser. You need to be a grounded Christian who yeah. understands your Bible well, and he will help take you deeper into some things that you found weird or hard to understand. <laughs> if or have were, never if, gotten any explanation for right, it at all. Or or like you've had <laughs> unsatisfactory explanations up to this point. Yeah. He's going to go into the weeds with you and yep. come back with treasure. Uh-huh. So... But you need to follow him through the weeds, and you'll, you'll get to somewhere <laughs> satisfactory. Um, but the, the one thing I will say about it is, like, brand-new Christians, I don't know that I'd dump Heiser on them right away, because no. there are some people that know more about uh, the, the uh, divine counsel than they do about the divine attributes, yes. and that's not okay. No, not so, at all. And even Heiser would say that. Exactly. Yeah. So, any all that aside... I love Dr. Heiser, and one thing that he taught me about baptism is: yes, it doesn't save you, but what does it do? When, when you when you get baptized, what? Why? Why? Other than that public declaration, mm-hmm. what is it doing? And his whole thing was: it's adding you into a Family into the family of God, yeah, and it's adding you into the community of faith in a public way, where the community is saying you're ours, and you're saying, I'm, yeah, I'm with them, and it allows, uh, it does a lot of the same things that circumcision did right. in the Old Testament, and and that's very clear in Colossians two eleven and the following verses, where Paul directly equates circumcision and baptism yeah. in a way that isn't as clear in other places yeah. but it, it was taught that way um, right. quite clearly by Paul and several and several of the early church fathers in that yes circumcision was for male Israelites in the Old Testament right. to show their uh, allegiance their allegiance mm-hmm. or that they were a part of the family of faith and a good for instance here is Abraham circumcises his entire household right. And it says nothing that anybody else professed faith at all, No, but they had access to the truth. Right. They had access to faith. And in that, being in that community, they were then part of the collective family of God. I like, so want
1: you to use the word the elect. That's what yes. I want you to I want to hear you and say so, the elect.
0: <laughs> and so then he was going to tie it to election. Yes. And he's like, listen, this election is access yep. to the truth Yes, because... Who would disagree when you read the Old Testament than, than saying that the children of Israel were elect? Right, exactly. I think God explicitly says so. These are mine, they're, they're elect. And how many of them were saved? Not very many. Not the very whole many. entire nation went so apostate, they became worse than the nations that they displaced. Mm-hmm. And God had to remove them from the land as he laid out in his covenant that he would do if they abandoned it. And so clearly... Election in the Old Testament did not mean salvation. Right. It meant access to the truth, access right. to the family of God. And when you received that, you got circumcised. And then the the outward expression of that for Jewish women was being married to a right. Jewish man. Right. And that kind of thing. And like the way you became Jewish through your mother, through your father, all of that. Right. That was all part of it. Right. Okay. So... You get to the New Testament and Paul is saying, in a lot of ways, you can't say much about baptism that we didn't say about circumcision. Right. It's not saving you. It doesn't it it does mean that you are doing something public right. and life changing and outward, but what happens inside, this is still just flesh. It is right. just your flesh getting wet, right. it is just your flesh being cut away. Right. It if if there is no inward change. Right. And and so that was really helpful. And now we've lost all of our reformed brethren in this podcast <laughs> because we started talking about an election election in a way that they probably haven't heard. Well, and and but I would I would say that in in the New Testament context, if God is willing that none should perish, and He calls all to repentance, and and His prevenient grace is going out into the world and drawing. People who are totally depraved, but somehow God is making a way for mm-hmm. all. His desire, His will is that none should perish. Right, and so He's going out and calling everyone. What does election mean? Except having access to the gospel. Someone right. preaches the gospel to you, you become elect. Right, you you, you are elect. Right, and are will you be saved? I don't know. Right, I mean, it well, seems why, to be a you thing. Well, and like, it's also why you, Jesus said in the great great commission, not those
1: who hear, but those who believe and are baptized, right. will be saved. And again, the baptized is not a requirement of salvation, but it was showing that you had entered into kingdom life.
0: It presents you with a choice. Yes. And yeah, I'm not saying that you save yourself. No. In, in no, no. no way. Faith, faith is not a work. And even in the <laughs> Old Testament, when we're talking about salvation, they were saved by faith. Yes. That hasn't changed.
1: Yes. No, it has not.
0: Abraham was saved by faith, and Paul was saved by faith.
1: Yes. Yeah, and, and I will say Sheldon had sent me a very specific video uh, that had men sitting in a panel, who I will not mention their names, right. but they were asked the question, how are, how were people in the Old Testament saved? And they didn't know what to say. And these are heavy hitters right. in in the church world, um, a specific and- subset of the church world, but they had nothing to say. And somebody then cracked a sarcastic joke, and they moved on to the next question you, you without answering it. You have
0: to say it. that they were saved by faith. They were saved by faith in Yahweh. Read Hebrews. And then as Read soon Hebrews. as you see Jesus revealed for who he is and, and the sacrifice is made, yes, that faith in Yahweh is still faith in Jesus yeah, and who he was revealed to be, yeah, even that Old Testament faith. yeah. And then you get verses that say, you know, Jesus was the Lamb of God who was crucified from the foundation of the world. Jesus' act on the cross, it, it, it was once for all time. Yeah.
1: It reached back, it reached forward, it reached to every side, it did all the things. Either it's good for it all or it wasn't. It wasn't good for anything, that's right. And so, again, baptism is a celebration of all of this. It is a right. celebration and a symbol of what has been done. Um, and again, this is this is our tradition, our view of it, but I would say that it has really solid biblical uh, roots. We're not just you know grasping at straws or trying to minimize it.
0: The thing that always gets me about baptism and what I thought about today is the public declaration and how good that is for changing family lines. Yeah. So good for changing family lines. Like you watch, sometimes you watch your dad or your uncle or your grandpa and, and you're like, I think I know where they stand on this thing Yeah, and I've kind of gleaned it and I've picked up from it. It's nice to see it publicly and say, nah, this is, this is me and this is what I've chosen. And, there was a couple dads today, a couple moms, and it's just like so good for those kids to see yeah. that. And I I was one of the things that I was thinking in my mind is about testimonies. And there are a number of people that were baptized today that I'm like, this gets written in stone in yeah. their testimony. I once was, I am no longer. And this right here is the public date that you can put right on that in right. that as like a signpost in that testimony. Yeah. But even more so, if you're a kid and you're seeing this happen for your parents, your testimony then is I'm I'm of a new generation. Right. I don't own all the curses or the bad things that happened before in my generational right. line. I'm the first of my kind. Yeah. And new my creation, testimony, all things new. My testimony is new life from the jump. Yeah, and and I I think there is something powerful to standing up and then them getting baptized later on and saying, "Hey, I'm all in." Yeah, too. Like I'm I'm building on what they've already done. Yeah, and today there was three generations, a grandma, yeah, a granddaughter and a daughter. yeah, and that kind of stuff is just wild. yeah like you have to you have to say clearly, clearly, this these children are coming up under something incredibly yep. special and and we always want something better for our children than what we had. yeah, and I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of things that were laid down for me, really, really well. Right. But how cool! How cool for a yeah. kid to be able to see that and just latch onto it yeah. and carry it with him. Yeah, that's great. Hmm. Tell me, tell me about your your baptism experience. Like, what was that like? I was baptized by pouring in the Mennonite church. So yeah. you, I was. Saved after a revival service. I didn't have the guts to go forward. <laughs> so I got saved at my family kitchen table. M- my parents were there and helped me with that. And uh, then our church, you had to go through, I think it was like a membership class. Yeah. And basically they taught us through like the Mennonite Confession of Faith and a whole bunch of other right. things.
1: Basically cate-
0: catechism, but yeah, Mennonites. Yeah. They- <laughs> We would have never no, called never it called that. a catechism. <laughs> <laughs> Maticism. Yes, you, you were catechized <laughs> into the Mennonite Church and uh, the Mennonite Confession of Faith and all that, and then uh, we had a ceremony, and yeah, it was joyful and and um, exciting, and your grandparents were there and whatever, but we went; those that were being baptized went forward, and I think there was four or five of us. And relatively all kind of the same age, but I I think, I don't know if I was, yeah, all about the same age. And we did it by pouring. So the one minister or deacon would lay, oh, yeah, the minister would lay their hand on your head, kind of forming a triangle with their thumb and forefinger and yeah. laying their hand on, on your head like that, pray a blessing over you, and they would pour the water three times yeah. kind of into that little triangle. Yeah. <laughs> and it would run down your head and and you're dressed in your best, right? Yeah. Because it's different than getting dunked in a tank. Right, right. Most people aren't getting in a tank in in their best. Yeah. You know? But you're there in your Sunday best, kneel at the altar, they they pour pour your head. Yeah. You know? We didn't have an altar in our church. That was the really? other thing. uh there was a front, like the front of the church, but we didn't have altars. Yeah.
1: Nothing that could be misconstrued um, as as uh
0: yeah. Overly symbolic yeah, or I don't know. Catholic in any way, probably. Yeah, I don't know what that would be about. i I mean, we have sturdy altars at the church yeah. we go to. Now. Yeah. Have you but.
1: have you ever been to an actual Catholic service or ceremony,
0: Catholic Mass? I've been to a Catholic wedding, I think. That's not the same. I
1: well, mean technically it is the same from yeah. their perspective, but it's not I would be very interested and I have another side thing that we'll go to, but we should do that sometime. One of these That'd times we good. should go to St. Mary's and and uh be being around for one of their masses. It's 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 interesting. It's That'd a very interesting experience. Um, During Holy Week, they hold several of them, so we could go yeah, that's late right a week there that's right. or something. That's right. Uh, so was that the only time you've been baptized, or were you baptized? Yeah. No, I was again?
0: only baptized once. Okay. I don't really feel the need to do it again. Yeah. I mean, it it is nice to know that in the Nazarene Church, we do baptism by sprinkling, immersion, or yeah. pouring. And uh, like yeah, our church, our main mode is yeah. immersion, which
1: is really interesting because I had I was going to have my first opportunity to uh, use an alternate alternative method because we had a lady who just was really uncomfortable with the idea of being dunked into yes. into a tank of water, which again, not a big deal because it's not the mode that saves you and it's not baptism that saved you. So it's okay. You know, right. we can, we can come up with what we can come up with. So I had planned to do the pouring, you know, the three time pouring, just take cup it yeah. in my hand and just, you know, pour over. But she at the last was like, no, she's like, Lord's just done so much for me. Like I need to do this, like full out. Do I'm like, great, we'll do it. But if you change your mind at the last second, I'm ready. So it's okay. Um, But so she ended up doing that. But I've I've been one that's I'm I'm kind of interested to explore some of those other
0: options because I've never seen it done. So pouring you you would use like the deacon would pour out of the pitcher on and as he was Yeah you know in the name yeah. of the father son holy spirit is right. the same thing Right. but it, it had a form to it yeah yeah, yeah and, and
1: sprinkling is typically exactly what it sounds like you literally just fling a little bit of water or put a little droplet on somebody's forehead but again we, we would we so, would say all of these methods are
0: are valid yeah i've never seen sprinkling done although i do remember at our church we baptized somebody that was in a wheelchair yeah. and we did that by pouring yeah. i believe
1: yeah i've only seen i've only seen sprinkling uh, when When somebody was in a state, uh, say in a hospital or, uh, like there was, there was one particular instance where, um, I think somebody went into, they weren't really in a coma, but they'd gone nonverbal, but they had expressed before, you know, yes, I'm affirming my faith. I would love to be baptized, but then they just, they transitioned, you know, they were heading very quickly towards death. And so it was just, it was done while they were in their hospital bed. I didn't witness that, but I know of that particular situation. Um. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll be interested, and I'm one that I'm I'm even willing to do infant baptism. I'm I'm okay with that, and our tradition yeah. allows for that. Um, I've never seen it. We do baby dedications, but if I had somebody who felt very strongly that infant baptism was important, I would do it. I have no issue with that, and I right. feel like I can I can biblically justify it easily, and and could uh, lay that out in the same way that I would lay out dedication. Again,
0: circumcision was happening to children very very young right. before they could profess anything. It right. was the community saying. Yeah. This is one of ours, and it didn't save you. Right. It's still not about saving you, but it is about the community saying, "This one will will receive the gospel in a real way." Right. We're taking on the responsibility of bringing them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord,
1: and they will eventually have a time where they have to affirm that themselves. And
0: in the Nazarene church, we get the beauty of. Teaching on prevenient grace during yes. an infant baptism and saying how we believe that God's grace goes ahead, mm-hmm. prepares the way for all to come to salvation. Yeah, that yes on the one the one thing we, or uh, well, several things. I mean, because we're Wesley and there's several things that we agree with Calvin on. Right, and that one of them is the total depravity of man. We don't right. find God on our own. We don't wander around the universe and somehow come up with salvation. And right. oh, this is a good idea. No, right. uh, every one of us can look back in our lives and say. The Holy Spirit initiated this. He started drawing me a long time ago. Yeah, He's been working in my life. He brought me to this point, and I'm today. I choose Him. Yeah, you know, and and He started it. He does it. He finishes it. It's all about Him. Yeah, and we get to talk about that at infant baptism and say it is a prevenient grace of God that yes. we are giving testimony to today. Yeah, He goes ahead. He is even drawing this one. Yeah and he will draw them right and he will give them that choice right whenever they are able but until that time he's like this this infant is under the prevenient grace of god yeah yeah and it's and really it's, cool
1: and it's acknowledgment more than it is anything yeah. else which i love that but yeah, I, I, there is actually some a couple I know of that I may a- actually have the opportunity to do that at some point, and I would love that. I would love to do that. Yeah, um, I'm interested in all these alternate alternative modes. That would ruffle all kinds of feathers. Oh, which is part of why I love it. <laughs> but again, it's it's an opportunity to teach. It's an opportunity it to instruct, and I love those moments. I love the moments where somebody goes, uh, and I'm like, no, 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 hang on, stay with me for a second. We're gonna we're gonna bring you in. Like I'll bring you along on this, and I think that is the thing I'm realizing more and more in a pastoral and a teaching sense. Um, I forget who I heard talk about this, but they were talking about how, ironically enough, it was John MacArthur, who, again, I take a lot of theological issue with, but he was talking about his transition into becoming a fundamentalist Calvinist and how his thought was, well, I'm learning these things and my job as a pastor is to slowly bring my congregation along as opposed to just coming out, you know, and slamming the pulpit saying this is what it is you bunch of heathens and do this that and the other and again i lo- i looked at that i'm like there's wisdom in that and, right. and if, if if the lord's instructing you in something as long as it continues to align with his his word his will and the correct you know even even traditions you know we're looking at some of those things then our job is to bring our people along it's not to 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 race out ahead of them to show our own brilliance or our own elitism it's no 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 this is what i'm learning about yeah. who god is let's let's move here together
0: cuz i learn these things gently too yes Yes. It didn't, it didn't come upon me quick. No, and, not at all. And, and what's interesting is still in our church, the way we teach it is this is a believer's baptism. This yes. is about, this is upon your confession of faith. Yeah. This is not because it makes me feel good or no. it's going to do something in particular for you. No. But this is about a believing step. Yes. In your life. Right. And, and it's upon your confession of faith. Yeah. And so we talk about that, and yet we're still willing to baptize infants. That's right. <laughs> which would have made heads explode in the 17th century. Yes, that's right.
1: That's right. So my baptism experience was different uh, than yours. Uh, I was baptized when I was 14. Now, I was dedicated as a baby, because that's what you do. Right. Um, you know, J.K. Warwick, who became one of our general superintendents and is now pastoring again at a church in uh, Dayton, which I just love that he went from the highest office in the church of the Nazarene, retired because he was quote, over the age limit to do it and went right back to pastoring. I love yep, that because that doesn't, that doesn't church. happen. That yeah. doesn't happen. And JK is the kind of guy where he came from the tradition where if you were asked to do something by the church, that was God calling you to do it. Because right. you had submitted to this body. Again, that's changed a little bit in some, in the views of people now. But, um, so I was, I was dedicated as a child at, um, eight years old. I, I met Jesus. I finally understood, you know, salvation that I needed to be saved. All of that. 14 years old, I get baptized. I meant it in that moment from what I understood it, what I yep. understood of salvation, what I understood of what Jesus had done for me, and was doing in me. I meant it. When my sanctification experience happened at 19, that marked a huge transition to understanding, no, 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 the loyalty aspect. Like, I am now, I'm all in here. This is not just, I brought you my sin and I'm being cleansed. Like, right. I'm all in. And so, I'll never forget, I was I was playing bass that night. Uh, we had a baptism service. I was 19, and... It was just like, they, one of the things what we all, we've almost always said, and I think we actually didn't say it today, maybe they did, but we always say, you know, if you're just feeling like you want to get baptized and you're not on the list today, come ahead. We'll, we've got towels and things, we can, you know, let you do that and, and be a part. And I was literally the last person. I, I, I walked off stage, after it was all done, I was like, hey, I'm going in too, and I have a picture of this in my office, and my dad baptizing me for the second time, but he knew too. What had happened in my life in those weeks right. leading up to that, and what had transitioned, and uh, and so he did. He, I I got to share a little bit about just again that whole thing of being all in of of being like I'm everything of, that I have is his, and and that it was just different. And so I was baptized twice, um, and some people would look at that as heresy or that that was a problem. It's like no no no, you just affirmed. Like no, I knew without a shadow of a doubt. Like I needed to be baptized again. I needed to attest to what God had just done in my life. And it was my own understanding that hadn't gotten there before. Right. It wasn't that it negated the first one. It was that all of a sudden I really understood what I was doing, right? And so I, I wanted to, I wanted to affirm that again. And uh, that was my first baptism was not emotional uh, at all. It was just, yes, this is what you do, and and I felt solid in that. Um, but that one was just, again, you can see me just bawling coming out of the water in my, you know, very thin goodwill. Button down shirt that you know right. got all soaked and stuck to me and my my carpenter jeans because that was the thing back then, um, but that was a that was a turning point moment for me and I wanted to attest to that turning point moment. Yeah. So it was two times for me and again if I ever go to the Holy Land I will be baptized in the Jordan River like that is just one <laughs> of those things where it's like there's just I want it, like this is where Jesus got baptized I want to connect back to that I think that's part of that great cloud of witnesses aspect like yes, I want to I want to participate in in what happened there. Um I've already I decided that when I was a really small kid even like oh I would love to get <laughs> baptized in the Holy Land if that ever became a thing. And I would do it. I would right. do it without question.
0: Um so it's mine like, again was oh, very wait, different. This then. this guy might be too allegiant to Jesus. This is a problem. <laughs> like yeah. he said it a couple times now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my Be goodness. careful you don't say it too much. <laughs> so
1: one of the things that, that came up today uh, which I forget, have, have both of your kids been baptized? Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember. I felt
0: like I remembered that they had, but I, I yeah. obviously I know Ryland, because you, yeah. you talked about that. Um, no, and after Lena got baptized, I was like, oh, man, I want to help with Ryland's, because I was so excited to be a part of that. Right. And I couldn't at the time. I mean, I wasn't licensed in right, any way. Right. And by the time Ryland had come around, I had actually answered that call and right. started down the path, and I was licensed at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think I only held a local license, though, at that point. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Either way. So
1: one of the things that came up today was the, the issue of the age of accountability. Yeah. So my two kids were baptized. Strong was seven. Yeah. And Aon was five when they got baptized. There are some who would have a problem with the fact that they weren't 12, (laughs) or whatever the magical number that you think is the age of accountability, which again, that is not actually in the Bible. That term is something we've used to describe someone's understanding of the gospel and someone's accountability for their own personal sin. Uh, It's a good term. I mean, it makes sense uh, in some sense, but I also think it's been somewhat abused. So what are your thoughts on the whole thing of the age of accountability? Oh, man. (laughs) And what
0: does that mean? Um. So, if you define sin as uh, like personal sin as a willful moral choice against a known law of God, yeah, which I think is a good way of thinking about it. Yes. So I, I now I know the laws of God. I have made a willful moral choice to disobey those laws. I think at that point. You in order to be get forgiven of sin in that manner, you definitely need to profess faith in Jesus. Like that the the cross is the only thing that will save you. Yeah. You knew the laws of God, you disobeyed, you're walking in the ways of of all men. Yeah. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. Hmm. So I would say at that point, anytime after that. The cross is what saves you. Yes. So every culture, every person, every society has that thought in their mind that a a child throwing a bowl of food is not outrightly defiant against God right. or their parents. Right. They're acting out of instinct a lot right. of times. And it's like, okay, what do you want? Yes, we're going to discipline for it. We're going to train for it. But at what point are they making a moral choice against a known law of God? Yeah, You know, those types of things that is super murky and it's different for everyone. But I think as soon as you are aware of your sinfulness Mm. and your need for a savior and you're presented with that choice, that's the moment in which you can be saved, and I would say that you're accountable for the choice you make there. right. yes, you're, account- you're you're accountable for the first choice, I guess is what I'm saying. yeah, is when you've made that choice to sin, you become accountable.
1: Yeah yeah,
0: that's honestly, I think I think your theology regarding sin has a lot to do with what you will say about right. the age of accountability, right. And so for me. Yes, there is original sin, which means I am naturally not bent towards the things of God. That's my idea of of the total depravity of man. I will go astray on my own. I don't need help to get there. I'm just bent away from the things of God. I don't naturally choose Him, but the Holy Spirit's at work in my life. And when I become aware of the personal sin that I've committed, not that original sin, that bent away, that is just part of culture... But what I I personally have done, to yeah. become aware of that, that's when you're accountable. Yeah. to me and and you know and
1: I like one of the things one of the things that was big for us, you know, I should it,
0: say in my opinion, you're accountable to right, God, not right, to me. Right, of course. <laughs> I, know, I know what you meant.
1: I knew what you meant. And you all give him some grace because you actually know what he meant too. Um, one of the things that was really important important for us with our kids um, is that they could articulate what what it actually meant. Yeah. Without us coaching, like, you know, asking our kids, well, what does that mean? And what does that mean for you? And what does that, what does that say that you're going to do this? And and Strong and Winnie were both very clear about that and very adamant about that, especially Winnie, uh, you know, that that was... And and I wouldn't say that, you know, they, our kids didn't have that, well, I want to ask Jesus into my heart moment like that. Yeah. They they just affirm like yes we believe like we believe this. Like we believe that you know that Jesus died and that he rose again and that this is how we're saved and that- like they could articulate that. And again, that's mostly been because they've been exposed to it in school, they've been exposed to it in the church, they've been exposed to it in kids church, they've been exposed to it in our home. They've
0: seen it. Yeah, nothing out. requires that you live a life of Total sin for thirty years no. before you come to faith. No. It's being planted in good soil. Yeah. And, and so they're they, affirming it for themselves. Yeah,
1: and they were both very clear, like, this is why I want to do it and this is what I'm gonna do. And so like, you know what? I'm not gonna tell you no if you if you understand what you're doing. And again,
0: it is a five-year-old's understanding of it, but it is an absolute understanding. So Elena was also baptized young, and I, I know it's not my story, but I'll tell I'll tell hers anyway. <laughs> she she claims and I kind of asked my wife at the time, I was like, is this real? Cause she claims that driving in the back of the car home from church, she accepted Jesus into her heart, just in the back yeah. of the car, looking out at the stars. And she made that choice and in, in her booster seat or whatever. And she told us about it. And I kind of was like, uh, is this, is this yeah. like the real thing? Like, I, I don't think you have to say a magic prayer or say these right. particular words in this order. There's nothing like that that saves you. And I just didn't know what to make of it. Right. However, I will say this. She was our toughest of the two to mm-hmm. discipline. Outwardly defiant and just sticking to her guns, would not relinquish being right, being right justified in everything that she did. And I, I understood this because that was me. I yeah. got it. I understood. But it was extremely difficult to parent. Yeah. Extremely difficult. And she did not have a teachable spirit, was bent on yeah. what she wanted. And legitimately, after that point, she had a teachable spirit. Yeah, It's not that she didn't mess up or right. that she wasn't still angry about some things, and we didn't have our knockdowns and drags out, but her heart behind all of it was different. And I saw that and started asking over time, when when was that that she told us that she asked Jesus into her heart? Because this has been a different kid. Yeah, This kid is legitimately different. And I th- I didn't think that could happen to four-year-olds. Right. Yeah, and and it it changed my perspective on some of that because I saw it and I was like, this kid is legitimately different. And she's saying that she asked Jesus into her heart and she wants to be baptized. Yeah. I don't know what to do with this. Right. You know, right. But we asked, like you did, unprompted questions, not giving feeding her the answers, but just asking. What does this mean to you? Why right. do you want to do this? Those and, kind of type of things. And it
1: was and it was honestly because obviously we'd talked about that long before, I think even before we had kids at all. Not you. You guys had kids. But yeah. we didn't have kids yet. And we talked about that. And that was one of the things that actually brought me around and be like, no, 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 this is actually okay. And it made me think of that because Winnie has always been our our kid that's that way. She's our she's always our she's our most strong willed, yeah. our most defiant. And the thing is Winnie would remain defiant through discipline. Like oh, yeah. You could spank her however many times. You could sit her in timeout. It did not matter. She yeah. was not going to change. She was not going to do anything. It was just going to be until you you won, but it was just you won the battle. You, you had not can, won the war. You can make me do this. Right.
0: It doesn't make you right. It right. doesn't mean I agree. And and you definitely could not get this kid to say right. anything. Right. We, we stopped. We never really started that battle with her because there was no way you could get you don't pick a battle that you can't win. Admit wrong or admit that yeah. Yeah. And Winnie, the thing that I've noticed
1: since then and that kind of triggered all that for me was that her response to discipline and correction became different. Yeah. It wasn't that she still didn't struggle with, you know, having the attitude or stomping or doing the things or even having some of that defiance. But when it got called out, her heart was soft. Yep. after that getting called 100%. out and i even I, and i even remember you know for the longest time and it's funny cuz normandy's still in this phase one of the things particularly if we have to spank our kids which is not often we don't we don't spank all that often um it, it there have to be that's kind of like the last resort thing for us um i know that not every parent has done that it's been weird because it's a
0: tool in the toolbox it's, it's a not tool. the only yeah. tool
1: yeah but it is it is one where there are just times where this is just the thing it has to be And Winnie would just remain defiant throughout. She would get mad after you had done it. And that was it. That was you got anger. And if you asked her something, because one of the things that's always a pattern for us, it's like, you know, we we wanna anytime there's a spanking, it's never done in anger. It's like, okay, I'm mad right now, so you're gonna go to my room and I'm you're gonna wait until I have calmed down enough to deal with this as I'm an adult and you're a very small person, as opposed to I'm an adult and I'm gonna dominate you. Um, Yeah, this is not So there's always time and distance. It's always calm, it's always, this is what happened, this is what the consequence is going to be. And afterwards, there's always a ton of affection, and there's always we'll always pray together after the fact. Because this is what was modeled for me growing up. This is what my parents did. And ironically enough, spankings were some of, I have some of the most precious memories after the fact. Never yeah. during, during sucked. But after the fact, it was mine, always... Mine was
0: not as good of an yes. experience. Yes,
1: and, and Kayla's was very different than that as right. well. But it was always very affirming. It was always, you know, you are a good child. Like, we love you. This is not, a, you know, we'll always love you. It's never going to change no matter what you choose to do. But it's our job to help correct you, to help guide you, all those things. And Winnie was constantly, like, if you'd say, well, can I pray with you? No. No. Like, she didn't want that. Like, just no. And and would just refuse. And I said, okay, well, I'll pray for you anyway, but I won't do it out loud. Okay. Like, just, but was still angry about it, you know, s- sassy about it. <clears throat> But after that time and I'm not talking after baptism but after her affirming that that tr- that changed. And again it was unprompted. We right. never told her, "Oh no, you should because God would want this that." Nothing and the other. else changed in her environment. But it was but it was literally like she would soften, she would become affectionate, and if you said that it was like, "Yeah, yeah, we should." And we would pray together and it was di- so I'm like, "Okay, I noticed some of these changes in Winnie." Hmm. Um And there's still things that are working out. I mean, she's five, you know. There's still things she's working out. There's still things she's figuring. But there has been a marked change in her, and and it is funny because Normandy's still in that phase. Like if she gets spanked for something, no, no, she'll get real affectionate because that's her love language in general. Uh, But like, no, doesn't want to pray, doesn't want to. No, I'm good, you know, whatever. And that's that's just a funny a funny thing to me. But But again, your story of Elena really informed. Helped inform how I was yeah. walking into that and why I was okay with no. She can affirm this, and I've noticed I've seen transformation in her life and in her attitude. And I'm like, yeah, there's no reason that I can think of that makes sense for me to say no. You can't be baptized at five right. years old, and uh, it's been a journey, and it's still a journey for her. And I'm loving getting a part to be a part of that and see that happen.
0: Um, but I I love it, and I think I think man, if that could be everybody's testimony, yeah. Church would be a lot more joyful. Yeah. It's just, you don't have to go through, you know, 40, 50 years of doing it wrong before you do it right.
1: Well, and think too about... There's
0: no requirement to do that. Well, in the
1: way that we do it, like having the whole church celebrate what's happening in that moment at such a young age, like that's got to be a formative thing you know to, to to feel that
0: maybe that's what we do that's different we we bring all the kids out from kids yes. church and have them watch all baptisms. the teens are there all, all the kids the, all everybody the, yeah.
1: they sit all the kids come in and sit right on the steps right in front of the in the front of the sanctuary and witness the whole thing some the of them are distracted entire... by being there but for the most part they're they're engaged and they're focused on what's going and i and i attribute that very much too to 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 Gail and to Pastor Cindy, who really take seriously our kids understanding yep. what's happening.
0: This is not daycare. No, this is not arts and crafts time. No.
1: And one of the cool things is is Pastor Cindy, who's our who's our older kids pastor. So like our first through sixth grade, I literally was a part of her ministry as a little kid. She yep. did stuff on our district. So from the time I was like eight years old, I was going to things that she did. So I'm a product of. And there are several staff members on our church at our church that were products of what she has what she has done.
0: It's just wild how she continues to learn and develop and innovate. And oh innovate. yeah, it's just awesome. She had a group of kids together, getting ideas from them, anything they wanted to do during kids' church. And the and the kids asked her if they could have altars in kids' church yeah. because we had those in bigs church, and it never occurred to us. Yeah, like why would that kids' church should have altars? And they use them all the time. They use them all the time. They will, they will kneel out of the altar and pray and yeah. and all that and stuff. And pray with each other. and Yeah. Yeah. And so by the time you get to teens and you have a, and you have something that all of a sudden is stirring in your heart and you want to pray about it, it's fairly natural just it to... Normalizes yeah, it normalizes it. Yeah, get a friend or two and just yeah. go to the altar and pray about it. Yeah. But yeah, baptism Sundays, man, if it's... Oh, man. If you ever get a
1: chance to be at our church during one, even yeah. if you never darken the door ever again... Come check it out. It is it is an amazing celebration of what God is doing in individual lives and what that means for the church as a whole body. And man, there's there's nothing better. There's nothing better. We had over thirty that
0: we baptized today, and thirty last fall or so too. Yeah, and man, alive. And it is. It is just. Honestly, that's what that's what being the church is all about. You're yeah. supposed to go into all all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, making disciples. And yep. yeah, after baptism, your job is making disciples. That's right. Um, and I'm I'm always excited about that process. But if you don't, if you're not celebrating baptisms, what are you doing? Right. If you've been in a church that hasn't baptized people in a long, long time,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, let's go. Yes. It's about time. Yes. Maybe you need to get baptized. That's right. Maybe (laughs) Start something new. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: man. Well. There you go. Yeah. I think we've said about all we can say about that. Is there anything else that I forgot? Not really. I don't (laughs) think so. Oh, I do know the random thing that I wanted to ask you. Oh, yes. So one of the things that's interesting to me is when we talked about going to a Catholic Mass. Yes. If you go to Mass... And you are not a Catholic, you are not supposed to take communion right. as a part of said Mass. In that situation, what would you do?
0: I mean, I'd probably just respect the house I'm in. Yeah. I'm tricky about that one. I, I understand that I feel entitled to it because I'm part of the family of God. Right. I know that. Right. My spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit test within me testifies. Right. I have assurance of that. And... You know, the other part of it is communion is not just—it's not just something about me. It's communal. It's communal, yes. and it's about all of us sharing, quote unquote, sharing a meal together. Right. And I always have in view in communion three things. One is I'm looking backwards at Christ's sacrifice right. and what He has done. But also I have in view that I'm sitting at a flat table that stretches all the way around the world. Yeah. There is no higher chair for the pastor or for the elder or the deacon or the bishop or whoever. We all sit at the same table, and it stretches all the way around the world. It includes all of us. Yeah. And I'm also looking forward and celebrating how one day we will sit with our Lord and Savior, Yeah, and we will do this all together in glory. Yeah. All three of those things are in view. Right. So... If I'm in a place that says, you can't take communion, I'm kind of like, well, you're lost. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you don't want to be identified with everyone around the world in that present moment, right. I don't think it detracts a whole lot from the the past yeah. view of Jesus' death and resurrection, or the forward view of eating, right. eating the marriage supper of the Lamb in glory. Right. I don't. I don't think it detracts from any one of those things. All you did is you kind of scooted your chair back from the table and said, no, we're doing our own we have the kids doing table over thing. here, right right And right. this is the cool table and you're not at the cool table. Yeah, okay, you're lost. the kids the kids' table is a lot more fun over here. yeah. like <laughs> if you guys want to jump in with the rest of us, I'm cool with it. like you could come into my church and take communion. Yeah, I'm cool with that. right. If I can't be at your cool table, yeah, that's fine. The yeah. table of the renegades is so much more fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still I'm still debating internally what I would do because again I've gone to I've gone to some Catholic masses as an intentional observer, but not as I would consider myself a participant in what was going right. on. I just wanted to see what it was like. But if I was there and I was being a participant, I think I would struggle with not going up and and taking part in that in that common cup and what's what's being done in that moment. I think I would struggle with that if I was truly participating in what was going on in the mass, um, and I know there are some Catholics who would bristle at that. Uh, but again, if we truly believe we're we're saved by one body and one blood, and we're truly all that, and it now, also now
0: that we're into communion, though, yes, I think a strong statement prior to communion about this is not for everyone in the room.
1: Yes. Yes. This which is... I do appreciate about the Catholic Church. Right. They are very clear. This is
0: if you have professed Right. your faith in Jesus. Right. To my mind they just make the wrong
1: delineation because being Catholic to them is the Catholic Church is the church. Right. And everything else they would consider us in fellowship in the sense that they would they would not necessarily say that we're not saved, but they would say, "Yeah, but you've you've gone into this thing that is not what Jesus initiated and ordained. You've you've yeah, it's not apostate, and it's funny. And the reason I got squirrely on this was was seeing understanding the way that they view uh, the Catholic Church views the Eastern Orthodox Church. They 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 view it as a much stronger kinship, right. uh, than they would include them in. You're still a part of the church that Jesus initiated, even though they had their schism. Um, so they
0: would be served Catholic mass. I don't know. That's I don't know about
1: I don't know about the, the uh, communion during mass.
0: Somebody I'm sure can correct yes, us on that. Yes. Yes, I've done some some
1: lighter reading. But anyway, but that's there, that's but a whole other I thing. Think but I think as curious.
0: pastors there's a there is a caution that you should give yes. before communion to taking this if you are not professing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right. you should refrain because it communion is different than baptism. Right. And there is I There's something about the way Paul says, and that's why some of you have fallen sick. Yeah. Like taking the communion, taking the Lord's Supper in vain. Now, in their church, they were drinking to indulgence and they were overeating and just going a little crazy with it. And he's like, that's why sickness has come upon you. You're not only are you excluding people that you should be including, Mm -hmm. you are. Some of you are being gluttonous and drunkards, and others are going without. Right. Like, this is way, way off the beaten right. trail. So I'm not saying we have to go as hard in the pain as what Paul did. Right. But there is still a caution. I, I would give a strong caution to anyone who has not professed faith in Jesus Christ. You have not been saved. You have not had that salvation moment. Yeah. And you just want to go partake in communion? I would not. No. This is not for you. No. And no, and, and I would even and and i would not exclusive go. because we want to include right. you in this more than anything. Right. We want you to know what faith in Jesus can do for you and 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 what that change means in your life. But this is something that has forced someone that has right. made that step. Right. Yeah.
1: No, and I would even go a step further to not even saying, have you had that moment, but are you in fellowship with Christ now? Right. Like, are you still in that place of believing loyalty now? Yeah. Because if you said the prayer 40 years ago, and you have not right. been walking with Jesus, like, no.
0: Like, there's there's things that have to happen before this happens. Yeah. Um, so, no, I would agree with you. We would have, in the Mennonite tradition, we had, in my Mennonite tradition, we had preparation Sunday a week before. Yeah. And yeah. you, had, you had a week, basically, if you had anything against your brother, you better go settle it. Right. And you were not to eat or drink in, in an unworthy manner. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're supposed to settle that stuff before right. you go into communion. Right. Because there is a present aspect to this. Yeah. Like, I'm sitting at a table with everyone else saying, I'm in fellowship here. Right. And you can't be harboring all kinds of bitterness. No. And anger and carrying on with your stupidity. <laughs> this isn't going to help you. No it is it's not. Probably going to only going to hurt. Yes. Yes, yes. So.
1: Anyway, didn't mean to get into communion, but I that just when we talked about go, that the was Catholic church, free. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a, end up doing a whole sacraments series.
0: So, I guess because I'm that's probably why I take the stance I do because I do think there there is some exclusivity to what is, what is happening. Yeah, it, it should be exclusively for those that have made a profession of faith, and I get why the Catholic Church is doing what they're doing. For so sure, if they consider me out, that's great. Right, I, I I don't want any trouble. I'll take communion. Right, where I take communion. Well, and again, that it's but... it's kind of an honor system.
1: Oh, honestly, yeah, the way they sure. do it. So it's not like I would be causing like if. Uh, if it was it gonna cause, yeah, thing. if it was gonna cause a stir, I would not. Like, right. if it was like I would need to stand up and be defiant, like that guy that everybody gets embarrassed about at a, at a you know, town hall meeting. That's like off his rocker, Alex Jones version. Like, no, I'm not interested in that. But I'm like, no, I have fellowship with you, and you do have fellowship with me. This is, I'm a part of this. Like, there's a part of me where I would, yeah, I, would I see do that, no so. problem
0: here, and this is the honor system. So, right,
1: right, yeah. yes, because I would affirm that yes, I'm a part of the Holy Catholic Church because I'm a part of the church universal that the word Catholic means. It does not mean the denomination. It means yeah. the church of Christ. We're in
0: line with the Apostles' Creed. Yes. Which includes me,
1: Yes. So. Which, as well, the Catholic Church finds important, too. <laughs> so anyway, that's all just randomness from me there. But uh, yeah, I'd say we've probably done enough to wrap here. Guys, it's so good to be back, and uh, so good to be sitting across the table from Sheldon yeah. and uh, having these discussions again. Um, do we still have social media? Yeah, well, the best thing
0: you can do is just rate us on iTunes now yes. that we're back. That helps us stay at the top. So if Share you it, can just do all uh, the things. Yep, give us the five stars. If you want to write a little love note in there, we'll read it. Yes. Not yep. on the air, but we'll read it.
1: That's right. So. Well, maybe we will. If it's good <laughs> enough, we'll read it. Or bad enough, maybe even. I don't know. But yeah, thank you guys so much, and uh, we'll see you next time around. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.